maybe you don't have any money and you have to raise money, but maybe you do have some money, which is great, but that still doesn't mean you should use all of it. And also you can do more if you actually raise money. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys. Good as always to have you with us on the show. In Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Hope your day is going as well as mine is. I love bringing you all the cracking investing insight and information to help you start successfully investing in the United States. If you're new to the show, then welcome, welcome, welcome. I know you're going to get some great information and a lot of actionable steps out of this show to help you start building long-term wealth. If you're a returning listener, then thank you for your loyalty and commitment, but you already know you're in the right place. Let's get into today's show. On today's show, we are talking all about the secrets of raising private capital to fund your real estate deals. And we'll be examining, you know, the sort of the exact steps you need to take, even if you're new to the world of raising capital. The expert in the hot seat to answer all my questions and give you all of you the straightforward information and advice is Michael Blunk. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey there. <laughs> How are you going today, mate? Doing great. It's great to be on the show. So guys, I've been following Michael's blog for some time now. He was actually one of the first guys I started listening to and learning from way back in 2014 when I started focusing purely on multifamily investing. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. I know he is an absolute wealth of knowledge. But for all of you out there that might not know who Michael Blunk is, let me give you a quick summary and then I'll let Michael tell you a little bit more. Michael has been a full-time entrepreneur and investor since 2004. Uh, he owns apartment buildings in Washington, D.C., Texas, and has syndicated three transactions. Michael has owned eight pizza restaurants and renovated over, renovated and sold, I should say, over 30 single-family residency, mostly funded with private individuals. Michael teaches others to how to invest in apartment buildings and offers many free resources at www.themichaelblunk.com, as well as courses and coaching. But before becoming a full-time entrepreneur, Michael was the founding member of Web Methods, a successful software company that went public and achieved $200 million in revenue before being purchased by Software AG. That's, uh, that's a pretty incredible you know, little bio there, Michael. I wanted to um, drill down a little bit more about how you got started uh, successfully investing in U.S. real estate. Well, first of all, I got started read like everybody else, and, and I was taught to go to school, get good grades, and get a good job. So, you know, that's what I did. So I ended up getting a computer science degree and a master's degree and started being a programmer. And, uh, you know, it, it, so that's kind of how I started, like a lot of people are. And I didn't know really any better. My dad used to work for IBM for 30 years, and he was, you know, he was an employee. And so I was never exposed to entrepreneurship, uh, really. And it took me a while to figure this out. You know, I got into software and you know, spent some time in America online and went to a small startup company and was in the right place, right time. Was a third employee there, and we grew this this company rather uh, quickly and went public in in 2000 and uh, put a bunch of money in my pocket. 
which was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, my vision really was to be a CEO of my software company. So the last five years I was at this, uh, the, the company, I moved around. So I, I spent a couple years in marketing and, and then the last year was actually in sales. So that was the hardest job I've ever done, cold calling people and, and trying to sell them stuff. Yeah. And then, then that all changed. Yeah, well, so, you know, you're, you're a successful, you have this successful company, successful startup, and you, you, you obviously sold it to another company. What then, you had a bunch of money, what was the, the motivating factor to get into real estate investing? Yeah, so in 2004, I actually read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 35 years old, and I'm like, God, I am such an idiot, you know? I'm like, where was this book a decade earlier? I mean, literally, I mean, it was, it's such a tiny book, but it's, it's completely shifted my entire outlook. I mean, it's like someone punched me in the face, you know? I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It matters how much passive income you're deriving. And I, you know, I knew that, you know, if I stopped working, then the money would stop flowing. And, and that really resonated with me. At the time, I had, I had left my job and I was networking with other uh, small startup companies. Was offer, actually offered a CEO position of, of a couple of them. And I just thought about it. And I was like, man, I, I think I got to shift my entire focus. And, and that's what I did. And, and I, I followed, you know, Kiyosaki's advice. I did a, a cash flow business, which was my, in my case, a pizza franchise. So I bought a territory of pizza franchises and I met a bunch of other guys. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to hire a guy. He, he's going to run everything. And we're just going to sit back and count the passive income. I'm like, sweet. That's what I want, you know? And. <laughs> And so, so that's what I did. I hired a multi-unit operator, and I started building, uh, building restaurants. And we built two in six months, and bought another at franchise. So from you know, within six months, we all suddenly had three restaurants, and and that went great for the first five or six years. And then it didn't go so great. We can get back to that. Get back to that later. But at the same time, I got into real estate because Robert Kiyosaki says get into real estate. So I started flipping uh, houses. So I signed up with a local mentor. And started doing postcards, and you know, within literally six months, I had two deals, and you know, made as much of those two deals as I did my entire salary at you know at the software company. And I was like, wow, this is amazing! I don't have to work work fifty hours, and and you know, it, it opened my eyes. And uh, so that's those are two things that I did uh, starting off. That's fantastic. It's that's an incredible why factor. You know, it sounds like you have a your wealth of knowledge in terms of going. And, and being in a successful startup and then having that being purchased and then going in and starting eight, six restaurants, did you say? Is that correct? Yeah, I, I own a total of eight, uh, but, but eight, six, right. six at any given time. I sold some and, and, and bought some as well. Right, right. And then you got into real estate investing. So, you know, you've definitely got your stripes, so to speak, in terms of the business entrepreneurial side. Sounds like you're very, very entrepreneurial. That's true, but I didn't figure that out until later. But looking back on my life, I, I should have, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware enough of a lot of the, the hints around that. But I'm, I'm actually an entrepreneur at heart, which is one reason I've done so many different things in the past. Uh, I've done all kinds of different uh, entrepreneurial things, including real estate. But I, I really, I really like it. Right, right, and that, I think that's great. And to have the ability to come from different, uh, to bring your knowledge from different backgrounds and apply it into something that you're really passionate about right now, which is, you know, real estate investing and essentially teaching other people how to start buying apartment buildings successfully. So, so well done, mate. Um, big pat on the back. What I one other question I wanted to to uh, ask you before we jump into today's show is, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you, unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur? 
Yeah, I'm originally from from Germany. Actually, you uh. might might not might not know this. Kein Mensch hat eine Ahnung, dass ich eigentlich aus Deutschland bin. Yeah, so I'm totally <laughs> totally undercover. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, were you you born in Germany? Did you, well, did, how does that work? Quite. Okay. I, I first six months, I was actually born in the states. I spent the first six months here. My dad, like I said, was worked for IBM and had several international assignments, during one of which I was born. But I grew up there, and then I was elementary school here, and then uh, back fifth to eighth grade in Germany, high school here, so I was kind of like an army brat. Wow. Okay, that's really, really incredible. Whereabouts in Germany did you grow up? Uh, southern Germany, near Stuttgart, which okay. is uh, close to the Black Forest. God, I've only been in Germany once, and it was for the uh, the only thing that people really go for, and that's uh, the Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Good time. I want to get back. It's incredible. I, my, my heritage is from Holland, so I, I know the sort of the, that sort of part of Europe quite well. But anyway, so listeners, I want to get into today's show. You know, we've already mentioned that today's show is all about understanding the secrets of raising capital when you to get your deals funded. Because let's be honest, uh, the more capital you have access to, the more deals you can get done. So, Michael, let's start out at the beginning. Raising capital is kind kind of like an art form. So can you give us your take on why we all as, you know, successful real estate entrepreneurs and investors should be raising capital from from uh, individuals? Yeah, sure. I mean, and I go a little bit in my background to how I kind of came came across this. My strategy was to basically sink my net worth into these pizza restaurants. I figured I had enough capital maybe for four or five restaurants. And then they would sell fund. I had a 20 unit plan. So that was my that was my big idea at the time. Uh, I was doing real estate in the, at the same time, and I really wanted to get into commercial real estate. So I got into commercial real estate in 2007 when I was marketing heavily in uh, in Texas, and spent nine months beating the bushes there, and then put that on hold uh, because of the because of the restaurants. So having deplo- having deployed the capital in the restaurants and having put the real estate on hold from 2007 to 2009. Once that stabilized, I, I decided to get back into real estate, and the market was so unique that I started to flip houses, but not just one or two, but really go after it, and you know, I had a and really go after it, at kind of like a business. But I had none of my own capital anymore, so because it was all deploying these restaurants, which were going well at the time, and so I was like, shoot, if if I'm going to do anything anymore, <laughs> if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to have to raise money. So I decided to raise money from friends and family, and it was surprisingly easy to raise money for the house flips. You know, I, or it was a twenty-five thousand dollars minimum guaranteed against real estate, twelve percent interest, and it was like a no-brainer for people. So I had no problem, and, and that's the first time I got taste for private capital because it occurred to me that my ability to scale is only bound is not bound by own, my own financial resources, but my by my ability to find deals and raise money, which is incredibly eye-opening. Uh, you know, and and that's what I tell people is you know maybe. Maybe you don't have any money and you have to raise money, but maybe you do have some money, which is great, but that still doesn't mean you should use all of it. And also you can do more if you, uh, if you actually raise money. So I always advise people, and I don't care how much money you have, I always advise people to raise money. It is such an invaluable skill. And, and so that's the, the answer to that question. That's your why. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I have spoken a little bit about um, syndication on this show and just uh, what I like to co- call OPM or other people's money. And, you know, just once that penny drops with when I talk with people that, you know, all successful businesses out there, Google, Facebook, you know, name it, any any business, the founders didn't just have a ton of cash sitting on the sideline. They went out and pitched their idea to other people who had money and they used other people's money to 
get to where they, you know, to, to launch their successful business. So, you know, every business uses it around the world. And, and the sooner you realize that, I think it's, 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 uh, it's very, very important. But Michael, you just explained is sort of the why we all need to raise private capital from others. But where does one start? you know, when raising private capital? Because that doesn't just happen. And, and you sort of said that you've raised it from friends and family. But how did you go about starting uh, initially? Well, raising money presents you with a catch-22. And this is kind of sidelines people. And it goes something like this. I don't have a deal right now on a contract, so I can't actually go out and raise the money. And and then the other side of the coin goes, oh, shoot, I have a, I have a deal on a contract, and I don't have the time to raise the money. So people kind of scratch their head and go, well, I can't solve this problem. <laughs> and I have a solution for this problem. It's called a sample deal package. And this really works with any, really anything you want to raise money for. I, I did it with, with, uh, with the houses and, and with, uh, with apartments uh, also. And it basically goes something like this. You, you take a real deal, you get a marketing package or a real house, and you kind of write it up as you would, as if you had it under contract. In other words, you behaved as if you had it under contract. You write it up. You have their, your business plan, your financials, what you're buying in at, what you're renovating, what you're reselling, or what your tenure projections are, how are you going to structure the deal, what the, what the returns are. And everything about the deal is real. The only thing that might be different is maybe the purchase price, just to kind of make your numbers work. But it doesn't matter. And you tell the investors that this is a made-up deal. But it is substantially similar to what you, to what you will what you will find, and what that does, it it solves this problem of what are you going to talk about when you try to meet with an investor, and and the topic really is, hey, let's talk about the sample deal. It's it's basically like the real one, and you use it as a tool to uh, get someone comfortable with you with the kind of deal you're doing, and address uh, answer any questions and address objections. So uh, so for me, it just starts at the sample with a sample deal package. Right, right. And then that sample deal package, I take it would, as you said, it, it lists the purchase price. Do you go into sort of the type of returns that an investor would make if they were to invest with you and sort of the minimum investment required? Or how, how do you sort of present that on a piece of paper? Yeah, it's, it's a good, good, good question. The terms of the deal, I kind of leave a little loose in the beginning because I, I, in the beginning, I don't really know what investors are looking for. So what, what I'll do is I'll say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, minimum investment is probably fifty to one hundred thousand. I'm not sure yet. Um, you know, if we give you a, re- a return between eight and twelve or ten and fifteen percent, how would you feel about that? You know, and you kind of instead of saying, "Hey, here's how it's going to be," because I'm the expert, which you're not, and <laughs> instead you kind of ask questions and you kind of get a reaction. And 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 you know, once you're down the road a little bit, and let's say you got you know whatever six seven people committed. Uh, and you can kind of figure out, hey, you know what, a 13% return, $100,000 minimum, I'm starting to get people very interested. You know, subsequently, you can say, hey, here's what it's looking like right now. This may change, but 100000 minimum looks like 13 14% average annual return, la, la, la. You know, kind of what do you think? Right, right. And so, you know, you have your sample package, but how important is making sure that you're confident and you have a polished pitch? Because I'm sure that, you know, when you, you're sitting in front of an investor, you don't. You want to be knowing that you. You want to look like you know what you're talking about. So how do you how do you get a polished pitch to the point where you're confident in what you're saying? Yeah, confidence is is really important. Um, I don't know about a polished pitch as much, but but confidence is definitely important. The other thing that's important is always shoot for a series of yeses. So in other words, the first time you sit down with someone, it's not like, hey, uh, you're going to invest a hundred thousand, yes or no, right? I mean, they're going to go, uh, no. So. <laughs> So really what you're looking for as you're really when I say raising money it's really a form of networking. So when you're reaching out a lot of you're going to start with your, your sphere of influence with your friends and family obviously. 
Um, whether they have money or not, it doesn't really matter, and that's a great way to practice also. But really, you don't know really who they know. Uh, and this is one advice is to always always speak to everybody you come in contact with uh, because you never you never really know. And you want to look for that series of yeses. So instead of right from the gates, you know, talking about raising money, you might just say, hey, I'm really excited about this new thing I'm, uh, I'm getting into. And they're like, oh, what's that? You know, I'm getting into apartment building investing. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for investors and, and it's really exciting. And they go, oh, that's fantastic. And he goes, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just looking for people that maybe can help me. And they're like, well, what kind of help do you need? And he goes, well, you know, all kinds of help. I, you know, I need, uh, I need obviously people who are interested in investing. And then you can say, you know, it's a minimum of fifty thousand dollars, you know, thirteen, fifteen percent return. You know, I'm looking for referrals to brokers, and I'm looking for referrals to CPAs or whatever, whatever else you need, or a sounding board or whatever the case may be. And normally, if if it's a friend or family, someone in your sphere of influence, they go like, okay, well, how can I help you? You know, and and give them a chance to help help you in some way, and it may not be in a way that you initially intended, which is raising money. But the point is. You're drawing someone in. Someone's getting excited. Someone wants to help you, and kind of see and, and, it's, and you kind of see where it, where it goes. So it's a, it's a it's really a networking a sequence versus you know raising money right out of the gate. And confidence though is very important. And, and I've seen this with some of my students who maybe are, are not as confident, but then gaining that confidence and the results are just skyrocketing. And you get that confidence by you know by analyzing deals, uh, educating yourself so you don't sound like a newbie. That kind of stuff. So when you're speaking, and as I had a, one of my students, Nick, was telling me this yesterday, he goes, "Man, all of a sudden my my investors don't really care too much that I've never done a deal before because they they see like, well, I've really spent a lot of time in St. Louis. I seem to know the area. I seem to know what I'm talking about, and it doesn't even come up as much as an objection anymore. So the confidence level is is really important. That's incredible stuff. I you know. I think that's very, very important. The confidence, having a being confident and understanding, as you sort of said, as you you're being, a, you might be a newbie, you might never have done this before, but understanding the, you know, the lingo, or I don't know, understanding the deal, understanding how to underwrite deal, uh, underwrite deals, I should say. And in your your student, uh, Nick has found it that because he's so confident in his particular market, that he that confidence is is coming out when he's speaking with investors, and they they like that. I guess that's 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 incredible. So you know, I have my I have my sample package. For investors, I, I've got a bit of a pitch. I understand my market. You say friends and family and the sphere of influence, but what? How else can I find my investors? And where do I start looking as a as a newbie? You know, trying to raise capital for a, a fictitious deal at the at this point. Right. So, so you kind of have different levels of sphere of influence. You kind of have your inner circle, friends, family, people you know, cohorts you know very well. Then you have a more an extended sphere. Uh, of people that you don't know quite as well, and there's a third, you know, well, uh, there's a second sphere of people that maybe you've lost touch with, and then there's that third sphere of people you don't know yet. So the easiest thing is always to start in the inner circle, and and obviously depending on your personal network, that could be, you know, could be vast or it could be could be small, but that's where that's where you start. And the way I advise people to do is to kind of create a mind map of people, and when people say, oh, I don't really know anybody, and it's like, okay, well, let's let's just create different bubbles here. You know, you got your friends. Okay, write down friends. Then you got neighbors. You got coworkers. Maybe you go to church or synagogue. Maybe you're part of a sports team or you play poker, whatever. You write out all these different things that you do. And then underneath those, you write uh, all the names of people that you know in those. And, and you'd be surprised how many people you actually know. So that's kind of like your, you know, your inner, that's what you start with right, right there. You should start with those and basically calling them up and, and just telling them how excited you are about this new thing. 
And would they be interested in maybe getting together to learn more? You know, I want to tell you more about what we're doing, catch up a little bit, and just leave it, leave it as that. You're not saying, hey, I'm looking for money at this point. You're just saying, hey, you want to catch up, really excited, want to run this past you. And most people go, yeah, sure, it's been a while to catch up, let's, let's do it. So you're, you're meeting with people in that way. Then the second sphere are people that you've lost touch with. And if you go through your, your, your Outlook, in, uh, Outlook contacts or your, or your Gmail contacts, there, you have probably several hundred people in there and there's no way you're still in touch with them. So you have the second sphere that people, maybe you worked with them a long time ago and used to know them real well, but you haven't talked to them in like five years. So once you're, once you're through your, your initial sphere, you may want to reach out to these other guys. And the way I've done in the past, I said, man, I send them an email saying, man, I'm really sorry. I'm such a schmuck. You know, I haven't, I haven't been in contact in so long. I just want to you know, reconnect and update you. And you don't talk anything about apartment buildings or raising money. You just simply say, hey, here's what's new in my life, what's new with your life. And then maybe you send another uh, email. And basically what you can do is you can actually set up a, you know, you can use a, um, an email service like MailChimp or something like that, and you can communicate with your extended network in that way, and that works really well, and you'd be surprised how many people actually write back, and then you're on a one-on-one conversation. And then there's the third sphere of people who do not know yet, and that's where you leverage your existing contacts. Once, once they're excited about you and want to help you, then the question is, you know, can you put me in touch with someone who? Is there anyone that you can introduce me to who can help me do X? You know, and, and, and even when you start raising money, you never ask the question, hey, are you interested in investing? Because the answer might be no. Uh, it's, much more likely, it's much more likely, hey, do you know anyone who might be even interested in a conversation about investing? And the likelihood of them saying yes is much higher, but they could also say, hey, you know, shoot, I'm interested in myself. You know, and, <laughs> and so, so that's kind of the way that, 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 I, that, I, that I approach it. That's fantastic. And wow, we, you know, where, where do I even start to summarize that? Because that's really, really important because you provided some incredible information just then. Starting with your small sphere of, sphere of influence, uh, friends and family, and then slowly building it into a bigger sphere of maybe people you haven't been in contact for three, four, five years. And then it's the bigger sphere, which is, you know, who can you get referred to? And I have a little bit of experience raising capital, raising a bit of capital, and it, I typically find it's that that, that that larger sphere, that, that sort of referral-based process is really quite powerful um, because a lot of people do want to help you even if they don't have $50,000 laying around. So I think it's really, really important to, as you said, Michael, come from the point of view of, oh, do you want to invest? You don't want to say that. You want to come from the point of view of, well, could you help me by maybe introducing me to someone who might know something about or want to get invest, started investing? So I think that's that's really, really uh, important for all those listeners out there and key to understand. You don't want to be coming across as some sort of sales pitchy guy. You want to just be sort of having a conversation and uh, and, and that, that's the sort of the biggest take-home point that uh, from, from that. So Michael, I've spoken, so, so I'm out there, I'm actively speaking to people. Some people are interested, some people are not. Talk us about how you conduct investor meetings. Do you have a one-on-one? Do you have a, a group meeting? And, and how does that sort of work? Yeah, so by the time you have an investor meeting, you're, you, know, you have kind of pre-qualified that, that person. You've had maybe a phone call, uh, and in that phone call, you know, you, you talk in passing about what your minimum investment is and kind of what the returns are and that you're building in apartment buildings. And if someone then agrees to a meeting, okay, and this is why it's so important to put the minimum investment in there because if you don't, in your mind, you might be thinking $50,000 and, and the person you're meeting with has $1,000 in his IRA, you know, and that's, that's not going to work. Uh, and, and you waste a lot of time that way. So, so, and you don't, you know, just say, Hey, just say, and if someone agrees to a meeting like that, when you say, Hey, the minimum is $50,000 average returns of 13, 15%, you know, apartment buildings, you know, five year hold, whatever that is. And they take the meeting, 
then it, it, then obviously it would imply that they are capable of investing at that level and interested as well. So that that's that that's the first thing. And then the second, the meeting is you're not going to actually going to spend a lot of time talking about the sample deal as much as I talked about it before. Really, what you're doing is you're building rapport with a person because the person may or may not know you. Or they may know you, but not in the concept of apartment building investing. Like if it's an old friend of yours or something like that, I go, what do you, what do you know about apartment building investing? You know? So you, you have to build rapport in a new way oftentimes. And it's really, uh, and if you don't have a track record, obviously you can't point to the track record. You're going to point to your ambitions, what you've done uh, up to this point, the team that you have built around this, this point. You, know, you've, you have brokers feeding you deals. You've got a, a really awesome property manager in this place that you're looking at. You have a real estate, a real estate closing attorney, and you talk about your, you. Maybe you even have a mentor or an advisory board, even. And and these are all things that when you don't have the experience, you surround yourself with people who do, and it just it just uh, looks much more professional and much more credible. So it's really about building rapport uh, in the beginning, and uh, and then you do want to talk about in loose terms the the terms of the deal, and and that's kind of where you start answering questions and uh, and addressing objections. And at, at the end, of course, you kind of want to test the waters a little bit. At the, once you're done with that, you kind of want to look at next steps and you say, hey, you know, what are, you, what are your feelings about this? You know, are you interested uh, in investing at that level? And they might say, yeah, sure, just let me know when the, when the deal comes in. Or they might go, well, not quite now. And then you say, sure, do you mind if we check in again, you know, in two, three months or whatever the time frame is? Always set a, an action item for something, give, give you a reason to reach out to that investor. And the sample deal package, you just pull out and say, look, take this home, look at it just so you're familiar with, with what these things look like. So it's really kind of a leave behind. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, again, you, Michael, as I said, Michael is full of a wealth of information. So you, you keep covering some great topics there. One I want to really hit on is the professionalism part. And a lot of people that I speak to who, who and I'm sure, you know, because you are a coach and you are a mentor, when they're first starting out, they're like, oh, I'm not, I don't have any experience. And I tell people that, and, and please chime in at any point that they've got to think of themselves as a business. You know, whether you've come from, you've come from web designing, I've come from engineering, you've, you've built professionalism from those existing careers and you're taking that now into real estate. And that shouldn't be sneezed at or it shouldn't be dismissed because that's very, very important um, to, to portray to someone uh, when you're trying to raise money. So how, do you want to talk a little bit about using your past experiences and don't be sort of um, disheartened when you think, oh, I've not never done a, an apartment deal before, but you can rely on your other previous you know, life, so to speak. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I, I thought that my house flipping experience would have counted for more, frankly. I mean, I flipped 34 houses, and it was largely dismissed, uh, not so much by the investors as much, but, but by other professionals. It just didn't really count as much. Well, even with the investors, it's almost like something different, even though it's real estate related. Uh, it's really something different. So I was a little surprised uh, that it didn't count for more. But the point is, the point is this: you do want to look at uh, when you're talking about when you don't have a track record. You want to look at your existing track record of what you've done, and and what you're trying to do is look at, have a track record of success, of being successful, and surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me. Okay, and then so it's a track record of success plus you're pointing to the team that you've built, and that normally overcomes a lot of the issues around not having a track record. Right. Interesting. And I think that is very, very important because 
and I'm kind of interested to, say, to to hear that they didn't take that as sort of a track record of success because, you know, look at yourself, Michael. You say, well, you've started a, a startup company. It's now we sold it for X amount of money. I've flipped 30 houses. I've owned eight pizza shops. To me, as an investor who, you know, a, a layman investor, if, if I was one, would be, wow, that's really, really impressive, Michael. Like, it sounds like you got your head screwed on correctly. You know what I mean? Like, that's the same sort of... Uh, thing, not necessarily if you've done a particular apartment building. So that, that's that's very very interesting. One you you mentioned before the objections. You know, what are the most common objections that you hear when you sit down with an investor for the first time um, and they raise these objections? And how do you uh, overcome those objections? Yeah, you got to understand that when you're meeting with a with an investor, even if you're if you're you're thinking ahead, you're paying an, a, a huge return. It's an awesome opportunity. The investor really doesn't care about gain; they just care about the downside. So you got to understand that when you approach someone, it's not like, "Ooh, look at this, a great deal." The investor is concerned about losing their money. Okay, so the number one concern is risk; is the downside risk. So they will ask you questions that are all rooted in in that in that part of it. So they're going to ask you, "Hey, what's the risk?" Uh, and, and the risk really is you and, of course, the deal, but it's really more you than, than the deal. So you have to address the risk. And so one of the objections is, well, what could go wrong? And the worst thing you can say is, oh, nothing's a slam dunk. Okay, if, you, if, <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you're an investor and you're, and you're speaking to a sponsor who's unbelievably confident or possibly even arrogant, I would, I would run from that person. If you're smart and you're the, you're the sponsor, you should outline the risks to that to that person. I mean, I, I would. I said, here's what could go wrong. I'm making this assumption, but if that's not the case, it might take longer for us to make the money. And the investor will appreciate that honesty, okay, and that and that balance. So it's all about risk and what you're doing to mitigate the risk. All right. So if you are the risk factor, you know, maybe say, look, I'm I'm it's my gonna be my first deal. I'm looking for you know 20 to 30 unit building and never done it before. But you know what? I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a coach or a mentor or possibly a co-sponsor. Who's gonna Who's gonna be there with me? So that's that's how I'm mitigating that risk. Then I got my property management company. They you know they manage 600 units in whatever area, and so you're always about mitigating risk. And once they're comfortable with that, and you've addressed the subject, then you can talk about all the money they can make. But really, it's all about managing the risk and the and the downside. So that's that's probably one uh, one of them. Then other objections come up around you know the, the holding period. So, you know, the fact that, you know, how, how, when will I get my money back? And, and I normally found that most people really want their money back in five years. So three to five years, three is not really long enough. You know, the, the longer you can hold the money, the better. And so I said, look, you know, look, you know, it's a five-year hold. And then I go, well, how, are you going to sell it or what are you going to do? I said, well, at five years, you're going to have some kind of liquidity event. Either it's going to be an outright sale or we'll do a cash-out refinance and return Either all or most of your capital back, and that normally satis- satisfies uh, satisfies that. Right, interesting. What's your number one objection? Is that is it the risk, or is it one particular question that you've seen crop up again and again? And what what might that be? No, I think it's definitely around risk. I mean, there might be there there might be, uh, and, and and the more you talk to investors, you will you will start getting the same set of questions. Uh, that and, and you kind of build that into as you talk about it. So you, you're more proactive than actually reactive. So so in the first five, you're kind of you know you're leaving stuff out, and they're asking you questions that you probably should have answered more proactively. But I think uh, probably the the risk is probably the most uh, most common objection and, and things related to to that. Right, and I'm sure that you know when you start you know start raising capital from people, you're not going to have all the answers to all their questions. So is it okay to say, look, I don't have the answer to that question, but I can get back to you on that? 
Absolutely, it always is. Great, right? I, 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 I sometimes, uh, you know, investors always stump me with a, within a question, and I try to be prepared as possible. But you know, you, sometimes you just you forget that one, and it's always it's, the listeners out there need to understand that it's okay to say. Uh, I'm not sure, 100% sure, but you know, I'll get back to you on that particular point, particularly when you do have a deal that you're looking at that is an active deal. One more thing on that, on that yeah. topic. You do want to end the session with uh, the, one of the questions that does always come up is what's, what, what's, what's next? So you have to be able to describe the actual process of taking their money and getting it to closing, how you would structure the deal, uh, what paperwork is involved. So you should, be, you, know, you should spend two or three minutes on, hey, if I get a deal, let's say they're they're interested and they want to, here's what's happened. If I here's what's going to happen if I have a real deal. I'm going to send you the sample deal package. Um, I'm sorry, the actual deal package. You're going to review it. You're going to say yay, nay, same you know, same amount of money that you verbally committed or more or less. Then uh, from that point on, um, I will start working on the operating agreement. You're going to review that operating agreement. You're going to sign the operating agreement. You're going to get a subscription agreement. You're going to get a private placement memorandum. And when that's all signed and done, you're going to wire the money to the closing attorney. Roughly, that's kind of the order. And so people understand the process. Uh, if they're investing with an IRA, there's some additional details there, so you can explain how to handle a self-directed IRA and the pro- procedure with your with your custodian. So basically, you're educating people on the process and makes them more comfortable. Right, and I think that's very very important, educating people on the process because. What you just covered just then, there's a number of steps in an investor agreement, uh, operating agreement, uh, investor subscription, PPMs. You know, you get, you get quite often to the weeds and people can get sometimes a little bit flighty, I found, around when you start getting serious. So how is it really important to explain the structure and the next steps to those people in a way that they're not scared away? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say keep it high level. Don't get into the details of it because they'll just raise additional uh, questions and objections, you know, but kind of like the way I, I talked about it, people kind of go, oh, okay, so you're going to have to review a bunch of documents and sign them and then wire money. Okay, I got it. <laughs> right, right, right. But it, but it's still important to, to make, you know, I think one of the most important takeaway things, we could have a whole episode of those, is is having a private placement memorandum and, and explaining the importance of that particular document to the investor because they put their mind at ease, I think, um, understanding what that document is. But that's just my two cents. <laughs> uh, what, what, you, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's that's it. And like, like I said, and just make sure you have a reason to contact that person, whatever reason it is, come up with something so that in a you know time frame you have a reason to contact them and, and keep it going. Because some people aren't ready to invest. You know, and so that's fine. I mean, don't expect someone to, to go to sign up on the dotted line in that first meeting. It's sometimes a process, but you know, even if it takes twelve months and that person comes around, uh, you know, sometimes these things take take time, and sometimes these people have a lot of money. They're just very cautious. Right. No, and I think that's very very important. And patience, I think, is is the big one. Patience, because that is uh, it, Rome wasn't built in a day, and real estate investing and raising capital is also really built on relationship uh, rapport and confidence in that relationship and credibility. So uh, so great stuff, mate. We've talked a lot about raising capital from private individuals right now, but you know, but what are you focused on right now? What deals are you looking at? And, and what are you doing to build your business uh, and grow as a real estate entrepreneur here in the United States? Yeah, so I'm currently looking for apartment buildings in two, between two and five million uh, and in the you know, southeast area, you know, from Florida all, you know, up to, including Cincinnati, Cleveland, that, those, those are areas. These are areas that are, that are uh, high growth areas, but also uh, still have potential for high yield. So those are kind of st- the, 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 what I'm looking for and what I'm doing to grow my business is I'm continually raising money and I'm doing better on that than actually finding the, the deals. 
So I, I do have uh, uh, some, a lot of investors that are, that are dying to deploy their money, and we just haven't found the proper deal. Uh, but one of the ways I'm doing that is I, I am enjoying working with, with the students who are out there learning how to analyze deals and they're making offers and they're underwriting deals and really encouraging them to, uh, to do their first deal and potentially partnering with them or, or, or take, you know, taking a deal from them and, and, and wholesaling or something like that. So to me, I got a lot of, you know, a lot of eyes and, and feet on the ground that are out there looking for deals and it helps me, it helps me, you know, filter out a lot of the deals that are out there. So, uh, so on, on the one hand, number two, I'm really enjoying that interaction and helping people, you know, do their first deal. Fantastic. And I think that's really, really important to have the, uh, the, the, the sort of your network out there looking as well, because I think when f- people first start, get started, and this goes back to deal, raising deal, um, raising capital, you also got to find the deal and <laughs> having boots on the ground actively looking for you um, and sending you good, credible deals uh, is really, really important. But you know, when everyone starts out, I'm sure like yourself, Michael, you didn't just get cracking deals from the start. That took a long time and now you've built up a network of people to help you achieve that. So, so well done. Yeah, thanks. And, and it, it does take a long time just so people understand it. I, I, you know, I had a podcast with Jay Boyle and, and Drew Niffen a, a month or so ago and it took Jay like literally two years to buy a duplex. And I gave him a hard time a little bit on the air about it. But, you know, six months later, he closed on a 36 unit. And now he's pursuing a 96 unit. So, you know, I can, I can you know, judge him and make fun of him all you want. And even if it takes you two years to buy a lousy duplex, you know, first of all, it takes time. But at least you're moving forward in, in the right direction and you're getting a lot of confidence. So, yes, it takes time. But, you know, if you want to retire in five years, you know, is it worth maybe – being a little frustrated in the first two to three years to get that get that deal done, I think so. A lot of people lose you know lose their enthusiasm before then, but that's really what it takes. Yeah, and I think that's it's important. This is not a sprint. Nothing. Not, real estate isn't a sprint. A lot of people get into real estate thinking I'm going to make you know a ton of money really quickly, and they soon realize that that actually doesn't happen. It takes a lot of hard work to find good deals, to find investors. Uh, to create that long-term wealth to ultimately quit your day job and retire early. And, and that that needs to be understood. And, and I think going into this sort of stuff when you're raising capital and, and looking for apartment buildings, you know, what, what would you say? A good, give yourself, if, if it hasn't worked in what, 10 years, then, then, then try something else. Or what would you, what would you say? I don't, I don't know. I yeah. can't, it's hard to say. 10 years might be a little long read, but, but <laughs> maybe five, maybe five. <laughs> um, and Michael, you know, this show is all about helping international investors break into the United States. Uh, with your German background, are you working with any international investors at the moment? Well, the short answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, as in there are people uh, who are international and they're trying to figure out how to invest here. And this is one main reason I'm going to have you on my podcast so you can teach my audience how to actually you know, get, bring their money in from overseas, how to get loans done. And I will certainly point people uh, to, to your podcast because it answers a lot of those questions over multiple episodes, which is excellent. So, you know, the apartment building investing piece is one, but then doing it from overseas is a different, is a different game. So there is definitely interest, uh, interest for it, but I think it it's definitely has its own particular challenges. Right, and that's, uh, that was really the whole point of this show because I saw that there was a lot of need for international investors understanding how to break into the United States. And there's just a bit of a lot of misinformation out there and um, it just hopefully this show provides uh, you some clarity and we only get the really good, we only get the best on the show like you, Michael. So um, great stuff, mate. Uh, I really wanted to get into the last, f- uh, you know, the top five investing tips. I know, you know, you had a lot of experience 
in raising capital for your apartment deals here in the United States, you're working with some international investors. So I know you're ready to get into it. What's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Yeah, so it's it's actually something I've done relatively recently within the last uh, last year. And it's it's basically after reading Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, which I've started implementing. And I'm not a morning guy; it takes me a little while to get going. But now, you know, for a year, I've been getting up at, at six a.m. and it's been uh, really very interesting because it gives me an hour of you know of of space, and and I, I use a combination of you know just being being silent, reading, journaling, and also uh, goal setting as well. Where we we look at goals at different time frames. We have you know our our dreams you know that we're going to do in three to five years. You know then there's the, then there's kind of the the twelve months goals. Uh, and I really like the the ninety day goals because it's a long enough period of time to uh, to achieve something meaningful, yet not so long that uh, I, I don't have an an idea how to do it. In other words, a ninety day plan. I can achieve those things. And I know exactly how if I if I hustle. Uh, and 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 that's why I like the ninety day day goals. So that's kind of been my uh, recent most successful habit. Fantastic! You're actually the second person on this show. My last episode, or my last interview uh, with a gentleman in Texas, he uses the same technique. You know, maybe not a morning person, but then started to become a morning person, forcing themselves yeah. to be a morning person to give them some space and some time to work on some other things besides the business. My next question is: What's the most influential tool in your real estate business, and why? Yeah, it's it's my apartment building investing uh, analysis spreadsheet that's now called Syndicated Deal Analyzer that you can purchase from my website. And I developed that over five or six years, and 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 finally people say, hey, can I have this spreadsheet? And I was like, well, it's a little complicated, so I kind of made it easier to use and put some video around it, and it's been uh, incredibly pop- popular because it's so easy to use but also powerful at the same time. So it's it's called a Syndicated Deal Analyzer, and. You can get it from uh, you know the michaelblank.com products or syndicateddealanalyzer.com. Fantastic. Oh, and uh, for everyone listening out there, all these links will be uh, in the show notes. Um, so remember to click on the show notes and or go, remember to go to the show notes and click on all the links to Michael's website. Michael, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? Yeah, so what's exciting? To, what's really exciting to me is is having students getting into deals, and we've gotten close a couple times. We haven't closed anything yet, though. There's a 134 unit in Fort Worth that's probably going to close in in, uh, in three weeks, which is really exciting. We got a, a, another guy who's doing a triplex and a quad in Pittsburgh, and uh, another student. We got very close to a 42 unit in Richmond that we we're going to actually partner on, uh, and that one uh, we we lost kind of at the last minute. So I'm really excited about these student deals. I mean, yeah, I'm looking for my own deal, but what really gets me excited is is having someone else do their deal. That's just that really that that just excites me. Fantastic. And what's who's the most influential person in your career to date? Yeah, I think the Rich Dad book probably fundamentally was. And I know a lot of people say that, but in my case, it was true. Uh, and, and the second person is probably my wife who puts up with me, you know, over, <laughs> over the years. You know, and I've had some, you know, some incredible successes and then stunning failures at the same time. And so she shakes her head every once in a while, but really she's uh, the most uh, supportive person in the world to me. Uh, and, and third is you know my mastermind group, which has uh, you know changed a little bit over over the years. But really, the the, the being in a mastermind, especially in a weekly mastermind, which is what we've done recently, really makes a huge difference. Talking that that goals, that goal setting, uh, is is you know that accountability that that someone else challenging you and calling BS on you, uh, that has been a real game changer for me. 
Fantastic. And are they local to your area or do you are they even in real estate? Yeah, no, they're not even in, in real estate. They're not local either. Um, and uh, currently, there's only me and another guy because we we wanted to be more serious about the mastermind. So we're actually in the process of looking for a couple people. This is an unpaid mastermind, uh, but uh, there's also paid masterminds out there. And you should, if you can't do an unpaid one, you got to do something because these masterminds are incredibly, incredibly powerful and and will move you forward and keep you going when times are rough or you feel like giving up. Right. I think uh, that's all very, very important stuff when moving into creating a business uh, in real estate or any business that might be. Um, last question, mate, is the most, uh, the best U.S. deal you've completed to date? It was probably a house flip in Arlington, Virginia. And it was, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, when you tell the story, like, oh, man, that's awesome, you know. And, and, but, of course, you don't talk about the deal that you broke even on, you know, whatever. But this was a house flip in Arlington. It was, a, it was kind of like a, a, a brick rambler. It was tiny. It was the way that was, stuff was built in the 50s. And it was sitting there. And, you know, it was, it was off a postcard, I think. And it was a, a really old gentleman. And, you know, I just asked the question, how much do you want for it? And he's sensing, well, maybe like 75000 And I was like, whoa. Because the land itself was worth like, like hundred fifty thousand or something, and you know you can't get too excited. You got to kind of stay cool by the pool and and kind of negotiate <laughs> them down, you know. But I bought that thing for eighty thousand dollars. I had to put an addition on on that one, so it was like a hundred fifty thousand dollar job. But we sold that thing for four hundred fifty thousand. Now I had a partner in that one, so that wasn't all my profit, but it was a. It was one of those silly deals, and again, it's but you know the average deals. You, you don't you don't need home runs in this business. The, the the thing you can you really shoot for is base hits. You get plenty of base hits, and you know that that's a home run over time. Exactly, and I think it goes back to um, what you said before about the the person who only did a, a duplex in two years. You can't get to deal fifteen without doing deal one. So, um, and, and regardless of if you make money uh, on those first couple of deals, because you may not make a ton of money, you, you might just be a learning process. So, Michael, the last question I have for you—well, it's the second last question because I want to ask you one other question after this—is is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Yeah, the best way to reach me is uh, themichaelblank.com. So it's T H E Michaelblank.com, or just Google Michael Blank, and uh, on the topic of raising money, uh, there is a, a, a free ebook you can download as well that talks about, uh, you know, talks about raising money. And so that's uh, on the michaelblank.com slash ebook. So that might be a good follow-up to, to this uh, episode. Yeah, I think it would be. And, and for all those listeners out there, I had just reviewed the book last night. Very, very informative. It's only about 30 pages long. Gets all the, it's jam-packed full of some, some great information. So definitely check it out. Uh, and the links will be on my show notes as well. Michael, my last question is, I sometimes for anyone with a bit of an international flair, if I do get them on the show, I do like them to uh, speak in their native tongue. You did give us some German before. Do you want to give it another crack uh, for our German listeners, if there's any of them out there? Ja, mein, mein Deutsch ist halt nicht sehr gut, nicht mehr so gut. Und wenn ich über Apartment Buildings rede, dann, dann hapert es bei mir ein bisschen. Aber es freut mich, darüber zu, zu, zu reden. And what did you just say? I basically said my technical German is no good. Uh, so, so, so I'd rather keep it in English when we're talking about stuff like apartment buildings. <laughs> so I still go there you know, once a year to visit my, my parents and my brothers and sisters. And so, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. So, that's, that's so, just, so you still have a lot of family back there? All my family's back there. I'm wow. the only one here. <laughs> wow. Well, 
mate, I'm all my family's back in Australia as well, so uh, we're we're in the same boat there. But um, but fantastic stuff. Well, Michael, you certainly know your stuff when it comes to starting to raise capital to fund your real estate deals, and it was great that you broke everything down in layman's terms for the listeners. I know when I first started raising capital, it was a very very daunting process. But just to recap on what you said, we spoke about understanding the why. Why do you need to raise capital from other people? It's to help grow your business, and essentially, you know, we all run out of money, so we need to start leveraging other people and they can leverage us to find great opportunities. Uh, We also went into understanding how to initiate a pitch uh, and get your your pitch decks an example deal and in front of as many people as possible talking about your your small sphere of influences and slowly growing out from that and then really understanding how to conduct an investor meeting uh, and uh, you know addressing any of the objections that might um, come from those meetings and and remembering to follow up that this is not a a sprint and it's a long-term game and raising money is about relationships and building that credibility so thank you very much mate for dropping by and chatting with us have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon thanks so much thanks mate for dropping in and chatting with us have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon well there you have it what a great insight into understanding the secrets of raising capital to help fund your deals make sure you check out michael's website for the free ebook on on the secrets to raising private capital it's a very very good book Now, as I mentioned, you have to go to my website and check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Michael and any links we mentioned on today's show. As always, it's on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge here in the United States, as this is what we're all about on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group or Reed Goosens. And you can also head to my website to check out some of the deals that we're trying to get funded at this point in time. If you do like giving back to this show, please just jump on iTunes and give the show a five-star review. It, I would really would appreciate it. And it helps us grow our community of international listeners eager to invest in the United States. So we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Happy investing.